Understand the thinking of God when He made man. We must study where it all began in Genesis. And we've been here for quite a while now <coughs> because there is so much that we does not fall into the Old Testament sphere or the New Testament. It is the encapsulation of the mind of God for where the New Testament is found does not mean it is part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament began in the wilderness when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That's when the Old Testament began. The New Testament began when Jesus died and rose from the dead. So, when we study Genesis, we are not looking at the Old Testament. We are looking at the original pristine state of things. Because by the time we get into the Old Testament, things are already messed up. So what God does is that he, he brings in 
a testament for the sake of preserving his gold until somebody who is fit enough to usher in something new comes. So from Adam, that's why when you read Romans chapter 5, the Bible says death reigned from Adam to Moses. That's when it reigned from Adam to Moses. So after Moses, there was something that could be begetted. So the Old Testament is a very, I mean, the uh, uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis is a very important book because everything in the Bible stems from there. You understand? Without Genesis, there'd be no Jesus. Without Genesis, there'd be no Christianity. Without Genesis, there'd be no end. You understand that? Because Genesis is the beginning. Without Genesis, we don't know the end. Because we would have not understood the beginning. Without it, there is no Moses. So everything started in Genesis. So everything God does from that point on is connected to Genesis. So the events of Genesis set in motion every other event that we see in the Bible. So how the story will turn out was determined in Genesis. Did I say that? So the whole Bible is anchored upon Genesis. Is anchored. Is anchored upon Genesis. The reason for the prophet was Jesus. There would be no prophet if God had not desired to bring forth Jesus. The reason why there were prophets was for the sake of Jesus, to prophesy his coming. God must always set precedence through his word for anything and everything he would create. That's why, before, I mean, I mean, God is eternal. So to him, there's nothing new. Right? So if he says to you that I'm going to bless you, why does he need to tell you for him to do it? Why doesn't he just do it? Why must there be a prophecy, a word, a utterance from God before he can do anything? It is the law that facilitates how God works. So he must always speak to friends. He must always speak to to prepare. Always, he must do that. So we look at Genesis and we we realize that without it, 
For instance, we have Jesus because man fell. We have a redeemer because man was lost. So everything about Jesus is pointed back to Adam. Everything about him points back to Adam. So for, for you, you're really to, to really uh, appreciate the coming of Jesus and value the coming of Jesus, you look at Adam. You look at Genesis. Because everything about God's nature, God's character, God's plan, So when we talk about evolution in Christian terms, we are talking about how man went from being what God made him to be and transforming into something else. Man born of sin. Man full of sin. That's the evolution of man when man fell. So Adam gives us the perfect picture of what your life and my life should reflect. And the more you, everything in the kingdom of God operates on the standard of understanding. Without understanding, there is nothing from God. Nothing God can do for you in the kingdom. Everything. He says, he says, getting wisdom, get what? Understanding. Because everything is tied up to your ability to understand. And to you is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And to him who has more shall be given. He that does not have, even the little that he has shall be taken from him. Can I show you something? Genesis chapter number 5. It is not only Christians that go to heaven.
22 meet from verse 22 read from verse 22 Took him alive. Who did God take him to? Who did God take him to? But this, and Enoch was lost. For God took him. Where did God take him to? Where? Heaven. Where he is, right? So, this is the first recorded man. Enoch is the seventh from Adam. So you come from Adam right to his father, Jared. He is the seventh. He is the seventh man. Do you understand that? He's the seventh man. How is it that this man, he came after, after the fall of man? Right? So, so by 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 law, after Adam, everybody born was born into death, was born in sin. How is it that this man, being a sinner, God will take? Bible says God took him. He did not die. Paul says he did not die. It says God took him so that he did not see death. Where did he go? Was he a Christian? Elijah. But he was taken to heaven by the chariots of fire. Was he a Christian? Where did he go? Where did he go? But he was taken into heaven. Into heaven. Alive. Taken into heaven. Alive. He was not a Christian. The criminal, the thief, who was crucified was Jesus. He said, remember me in paradise. What did he say? He verily I tell you today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Was he a Christian? No, you must be a Christian. The first people to enter heaven were not Christians. They were not Christians. The Bible talks about the first fruits after Jesus Christ was, was raised from the dead. How that the graves of the patriarchs were opened so that they went and appeared to all men. When he went to heaven, he went with them. They were not Christians. He went to preach unto the spirits from the time of Noah. Says every spirit. Remember when Noah died, 
When nobody, I mean, when God destroyed the earth, only Noah was saved. The last eight people were saved. The rest of the world at that time was destroyed. And Jesus said he went to preach to them in prison. They were the ones that were in prison. He preached to them. Because it speaks of your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you. Those people in the Amazon jungle or in deserted places, deserted islands where they, they, they have no access to the gospel, if they ever die, where would they go? Would they go to hell? of the world today where the gospel has never been heard and people have been dying ever since. So if they die, where would they land? In hell. If we say yes, then we must ask God why is that you did not give them the opportunity to hear the gospel? Are you unjust? And one thing about God, he is not unjust. He is not unjust. If he could preach to those in Noah's days, what would happen to those who die after he died? And they don't know that there's somebody who died for their sins. <clears throat> they don't even know that they are sinners. What would happen to them? Because Christians believe they are the only ones who enter heaven. Right? It is beliefs that have been passed down to us. They're not biblical. But we believe it. We are the only ones who will enter heaven. Even when you preach and tell people, come to Christ so that you will not enter heaven. So that you will not go to heaven. What are the standards? Somebody goes to heaven, whatever, they feel good. Right? <laughs> so happy. 
I saw heaven. But somebody like Adam would not say who, because he could interchange between the two realms. He was not a Christian. He was not a Christian. So what does that tell us? Heaven is not a place meant for Christians. Just like hell is not a place meant for humans. God did not design hell for humans. He designed hell for devils. Hell is a prison. Heaven is not for Christians because if Adam could be in heaven, why as yet he was not a Christian? That tells us that heaven was for who? For men. So when you look at Genesis, everything, you, 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 once you, you get the idea of the spirit in his design, in his making for man, life becomes much more easier to live. And it becomes much more meaningful because then you understand that it is not your, your, your title that validates certain things in your life but it's who you are it's who you are so in Genesis 1 26 when God says make man in our spirit and after and let him resemble our our form you realize that this man that God made is in the very class of God himself because this man can think independent from God. Now, nothing in creation, nothing in creation can think independently from God. Man is the only species that can think. That's why we talk, we talk about free will. Your ability to decide. To decide. That, that puts you in the God level. Because then you can make decisions without God. The Bible says when, when God when God made Adam and he saw that it was not fit, it was not good for him to be alone, he said he make him a helper. God, the Bible says he brought the animals to see what Adam would name him. What would name them. So the naming rights were not with God, they were with Adam. And the Bible says whatever he called them, whatever he named them, that was its name. How? That power to call for, to, to name a thing. And it becomes it. Mm. Mm. The Bible never said God whispered to him. No. It was in his own, own right. He had the autonomy to decide. You are a bull. Mm. And it was a bull. Mm. So whatever animal was there. It, the, the character of that animal was in its name. Mm. So when he said lion. Everything that resembled lion was imparted into that creature and so it became alive. He had independent will. Genesis is where everything comes together. It's where everything comes together. 
еще есть какие-то принципы? So in life, if you cannot call nor speak, nothing will ever happen. Look at the people in the world. You hear them when they're angry. You how you know what I said? I saw it. Tell people you do this whole thing. You know, what, what were they doing? They were calling for those things that they are as though they were. Look at the technologies we have today. They are a result, a consequence of the workings of their minds, of their imagination. <coughs> who, who would have thought, look at that camera over there, who would have thought? Man has got that thing. Not God, man. Man, God made the tree. Man saw what the tree? He saw the chair. You understand that? So everything in creation is man's raw material. <laughs> so that man doesn't have to start from his, his power. His power is in his mind, is in his soul. So that's why you can understand why God prospers men who don't even know him. Why God would, would protect a man who don't even know him. Because God never said, let them know me. <laughs> Did you see that? God never said, let them know me and let them know me. No. He said, let them have dominion. So we, we, must, we must come out of the theology created by men. Because most of what we have today in our Christian circles is, is theology, opinions that were, were formulated by humans, and we, we have formed them as, you know, basis for our truth. God never said, let them know me. I tell you, it's not, listen, it was, what would be in Adam? What would push him to know God? And then God himself had to introduce himself to Adam. You understand that? Who woke him up? Who woke him up? Who woke him up? God, right? Bible says that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. So when he woke up, the first face he saw was who? The Spirit of God. Some of the Spirit of God. He didn't know who he was. God had to introduce himself. He didn't know who, uh, how many have known who you are. <laughs> no, he had his spirit in him. Today, today, you have the Holy Spirit. Do you know him? 
like the Holy Ghost. Do you know? Do you know him? <laughs> Majority of Christians don't know the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so why would that make you think that Adam knew God? Adam did not know God. He could not have known God. He was still a child. Nevertheless, what a child with a destiny. Let's, let's look at certain things. Verse 26. So who controls earth? Earth to be man's heaven. Can I say that? Mm -hmm. He designed earth to be man's heaven, just like heaven is, you know, his heaven. Earth. He says, let them have dominion. So he said, verse 26. You there? Mm -hmm. Then God said, make man in our image and according to our likeness. So, so far, we dealt with the hour, why he said hour, right? And our likeness, why he, 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 he pluralized uh, 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 his personality here. So, we said that it was who? The Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God. And we've proved that in the Bible, correct? And then we looked at the word image, which means salam, which means vendor which means spirit. So man was created with God's spirit. So that further strengthens the fact that the hour in that part is the Holy Spirit. Because even Job said, the spirit of God has made me. So man was made with the spirit of God. Okay? So he was, the DNA of the spirit is with man. Every man. Every man. Every man. You can say that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And according to our likeness. Then he said, let them have dominion. So we discussed dominion and what God was talking about over there, right? We said dominion over the right hand of God. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in his own spirit in the spirit of god he created him see that in the spirit of god he created him male and female he created them now is it not strange that even though he made them male and female, the female was in the male when man woke up. Because he says male and female. So he created two types of species of man. The male and the female. Yet when man woke up, when Adam woke up, it was only man. Have you ever thought, why, why would that be the reason? Why would God, I mean, the Bible says here, male and female created he them. So both of them, male and female, were equal. So man 
being comprised of female and male, were made equally in the image of God. Are you following me? Amen. So, a woman is not lesser than a man. In nature, they are not less. They are not less. Because the Bible says they were all made with the Spirit of God. You follow? So the same Spirit partitioned men into male and female. But when man wakes up, he wakes up only as male. Adam. Who's the female? Why don't male and female wake up? I'm not sure if you've noticed that or you question that. It says male and female, look it. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them. So he blessed He blessed them. them. He not blessed him, he blessed them. He blessed them. So he blessed the man and the with the same blessing. Yeah? With the same blessing. All right. Then God blessed them and said to them, not to him, to them. Oh, in these last days, God will raise up women, you know, in a way that we have never thought possible in human history because the role the role of a woman was suppressed after she sinned after she was deceived but from the beginning God made him an equal partner in fact he made him he made her and I'll say it in a moment so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female. Then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves over the earth. So man would exercise as much dominion as the woman would. So the, the, the creation would respond in the same way to men as it should have to women. But it was men that came first. Why? Why? Why was it Adam that woke up? He was the one that woke up first. You remember Paul says this. He says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let the husband love his wife and let the wife see that he, she respects her husband in all things. But he says, this is a great mystery. This, this thing between the man and the woman says, is a great mystery. But it is symbolic of Christ and the church. If Christ was not there, who would it be symbolic of?
They are crashing there. We can't do it up there. No, no. <laughs> <laughs>
everything you see Jesus doing, it all, it all goes back to Genesis. Everything you see Jesus doing, from the time he was born, to the time he received the endowment of the Spirit, to the time he went on the cross, to the time he died, every single thing you see him doing, Adam did it. Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So man was created in the Spirit of God. And when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came upon him like a dove in bodily form. When did that happen with Adam? When God said, it is not good that man be alone. Then God said, I will make him a helper comparable to you. Who is the Holy Spirit? Why is it the same word used for the Holy Spirit is the same word used for woman? In the Bible, we see Jesus first and the Holy Spirit later. Right? In Genesis, we see Adam first and the woman later. What? Why? The woman inside him was helpless to him. God had to take him out, take her out for her to be useful to the man. Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in him, could not do much for God until the Holy Spirit came out of him. How <laughs> poured my spirit went upon all flesh. From where? <laughs> Everything is in Genesis. <clears throat> and tonight I want to show you how God trains us for dominion. How he trains us to reign, to rule. How he trained us to govern systems. How he trained us to command and it be done. You know, you may wonder why as a Christian, you speak to some things, you command some things, but nothing happens. Many times it's because you have not yet gone under the training that was required. So even if you speak, you speak as one who is not authorized. You are speaking out of turn. You are not speaking in office. Who changes the name after Mary? There? When you came into Christ, did you change your name? The Bible says you did. He gave you a name that is above every name. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 2. How God trains us to rule, right?
chapter 2 verse 7. <coughs> and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Notice what God does. He created all the earth, right? But then he creates a garden, a field. And he puts the man whom he forms there. Why does God take the man and put him in a certain location? He places him in a garden. That tells you that God is very intentional. He knew that the assignment, the purpose that he had given man was greater than him. So he needed to train him into it. He needed to bring him into it through a system. And he, he, he places a garden and then he brings the man and he puts it in the garden. The Bible says to tend it and to keep it. That's the word the Bible used, to tend the garden and to keep it. The two words there means to serve and to guard. So God rests man. He put him, he rests him in the garden to protect the garden and then to serve the garden. And then he does something else within them. He brings, he brings forth all trees. And then the Bible says the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was also there. God brought those trees in the garden. And God said to him, you will eat of every tree, but this tree don't eat. There was nothing wrong with the tree. <laughs> the tree was, listen, it was made by God. There was nothing wrong with the tree. God did so intentionally to train and test Adam. Mm. So in the garden, we see that it's a field of training. Is a field of service. You understand that? And it's a free, is a field of, of testing. So three things that happen in the Garden of Eden. He's been trained. He's been tested. You see that? And he's been he's been taught how to serve. So he puts the man in the garden, right? Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it. You see that? That's mean to serve, to service it, to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. <coughs> What was the testing? The testing was not whether or not Adam would eat. It was not about that. The testing was about whether or not Adam would prove his fidelity and his love for God. So the first time we see the test of love is in how well the man observes the command. 
So love is not primarily an emotion. Do you understand that? It is not an emotion. It is not a feeling, an affection you have. Love is your ability to prove. Your ability to, to, to sustain a command. Is that true? So the greatest test in the garden was the test of love. So if the man could not prove that he loved God, he could not handle the dominion of power. So God tests us. For dom he trains us for dominion by testing us with love. To see whether or not we love him. And then he makes them the, oh God, he makes matters worse and brings to man an entity that is from him. That's why when men, Adam and Eve fell, God said this to, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. God was hurt. He was offended. Because Adam listened to the voice of his wife more than God's command. So that bruised God. And because he could not prove his love for God, what did God do? He had to take him out. And he says, I'll start all over again 4,000 years later. <laughs> Why? Because if we cannot prove our love for God, he has no business doing anything with our lives. I have not seen. What did Isaiah say? Which I have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men. The things which God has reserved for those who, are, who love him. So how much God will reveal to you his goodness, his favor, his graces in your life is proven in your love for him. And your love for him is not in saying, oh God, I love you. Your love is in doing and is in observing and sustaining the command that he has given into your life. So he gives him assignment, but he also tests. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, you see something strange. In Revelation chapter 2, the Bible says, when he gave John to, to give the letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus, he says, you, you have done everything good for me, but this I have against you. You have left your first love. Then he says, repent, remember therefore from where you have fallen, lest I remove your lampstand from its place. These were people who walked in righteousness, who, who, who persevered in trial and tribulation and worked for the Lord's sake. Yet God says, I'll remove your lampstand from its place. Even though you do everything right. Even though Adam may have tended the garden, the fact that he what? He left his first love. He left his first love. What was his first love? His commandment. Let me show, let me show it to you. Let me show it to you. Revelations chapter 2. Verse 4. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. You notice? He says, you left your? You left your? You left your first love, right? Now, listen to what he said. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What first works? Do the first works. 
do the first works. So these people left their first love. By what? By forsaking the work that Jesus Christ gave them. So God had given them an assignment to do, but they have left it by doing every other good thing that God did not ask them to do. So because of that, he says, you have left your first love. So leaving your first love has nothing to do with you're not praying enough, you're not attending church enough. No, you may be doing all the right things. You may be doing the serving in the church. You may be doing the serving of God, but serving him in the place that he did not ask you to serve. The point of living your first love is that point where you have left doing the things that God has asked you. Because those are the things that he will weigh and judge you by. The things that he asked you to do. He will not judge you. His standard for judgment is not on the basis of what you have done that was good or bad. No, his standard of judgment is on what you have done that he told you to do. So Christians are full of activities, but not the activities of destiny. Not the activities that are aligned with the thing that God asked them to do. So they live Christian's life. They live good Christian's life, but they are without their first love. So because of that, he says, even though you do the right thing, he says, I will remove your lampstand. Lampstand, lampstand resembles position. Lampstand resembles office. Lampstand resembles the power you have before God. These are removed. Your weight, your presence before it says I'll remove it. And notice what he says. The first man, the first man, the Bible says, God took him out of the garden, not because he ate, but to prevent him from eating of the tree of life. If the tree of life was not in the garden, men would have never lost, left the garden. Because the Bible says, behold, man has become like one of us. To know good and evil, lest he eats of the tree of life and live forever. Let us take him out of the garden. So the reason why God takes men out of the garden is not because that's why there are men today, brothers and sisters, who live in Eden, an environment of abundance in their life, yet they don't know God. And God is not worried because in, in the place where they are, the tree of life is not. So even though they may have abundance, the tree of life is not there to help them live without God forever. So Adam would have stayed if the tree of life was not there. So God did not want to remove the tree of life from the garden. So he removed the man to protect the man from eating of the tree of garden. Because if he had eaten from the tree of life, man would have lived eternally without God. He would have been unredeemable, unsavable, because he would have seen an eternal life at the same time. So God said, let's protect him. Let's take him out. And by taking him out, God has reserved always a place for those who enter. Because the moment you start eating of the tree of life, you know you are in Eden. You know you are in paradise. Mm. So Jesus says, if to the same church that has left their first love, he says, repent and do the first works. Then he says, to him that overcomes, I will grant him to eat of the tree that is in the paradise of God. Why is the same church that left their first love given the promise of eating the tree of life? If it is not to resemble something that happened way back then. <laughs> so Adam left his first love. When he disobeyed God. He did everything right. He tended the garden. He kept the garden. But he did not keep the command. The command was do not eat. 
do not eat. For the day you eat, you shall die. Because you listen to your wife, Adam. So if, when we talk about first love, we're not talking about how much you pray. We're not talking about how much you read your Bible. You may read your Bible and still have left your first love. Your first love is the works that, that God has specifically given you, assigned you to do in this life. <laughs> and as long as you keep that first love, you have the right to eat of the abundance of God. If you have the right to eat of the tree of life, you have the right to command. Remember what he told them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, when you have eaten of the land, and when you have come to a place where you live in houses that you do not build, vineyards that you do not plant, walls that you do not hewn out yourself, he says, be careful that you forget the Lord thy God. For the day you forget is the day you will, he will make you, he will make you a laughing stock amongst the nations. Today, God never grants anybody the anointing of God without first giving him commands. Instructions for living. So, instead of crying for the anointing, God, give me the anointing. No, it's not the anointing you need. The anointing will come subsequently as you receive instruction. God, what is it you want me to do for you? When he tells you, that's the point when the anointing comes. Because the anointing must aid you in the thing that God has what asked you to do. That's why immediately after God commanded, God said, it's not good that men should be alone. Why? I will give him somebody to help him handle the command. And I'll make him a helper. So when we talk about helper, we are not talking about some, listen, Somebody who helps you is somebody in more instances than none who is greater than you. You don't ask somebody, you don't ask help, Chris, from somebody who is weaker than you. Amen. <laughs> you understand that? Amen. You don't require help from somebody who, who in strength is weaker than you. Who, what would they help you with? <laughs> So we have interpreted that verse in Christianity to depict women as lesser people because they came second. Because they came second does not mean they are weaker. They came second because they are stronger. Strong not because of what? Oh God. No, listen, they are strong not because of who they have but who they resemble. That's why you will always have divorces, you will always have messed up marriages because of, of, of the ignorance or the absence of, of command. God brings, listen, God brings, he brings, do, do you notice that the Holy Spirit never comes to make you love him more? He always comes to make you love Jesus more. 
You get that? Did you get what I just told you? So when 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 God gives the man the command, he expects men to love him more, to protect the command more than the helper they will be. So the woman is supposed to help the man love God more than he does her. That's why God never speaks to the woman. He speaks to the man. This is the mystery, brothers and sisters. And this is symbolic of, of, of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can never handle the authority of the kingdom until you come to marry the Spirit. Until you recognize that this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, no authority for you. No authority for you. So our Christian, our Christian life ends up becoming a reflection of our failures and not a reflection of God's purposes. Because we live our Christian life unmarried. And anybody who's unmarried is vulnerable to what? To other attachments. It's easier to fornicate when you're unmarried. <coughs> Why? Because your passions are unrestrained. Do you understand that? Your passions are unrestrained. Even though Adam is married with the DNA of the Spirit, Adam must still come to know the Spirit. He must still come to know the Spirit. He must be married to the Spirit. Everything God does in Genesis is, is trying to teach Adam. It's an adventure of discovery for Adam. So there are certain things Adam was supposed to observe from God's creation that would help him in his agenda and in his assignment in life. But he failed. He failed. He failed. Because in the garden, he allowed the woman to sleep with the serpent. She was there. That's why today the Bible says, do not allow a woman to speak in public. It's the Bible. And Paul says, those who, those, he says, those, those who do not receive these things as a commandment from God says they are in their minds. Read correct first Corinthians chapter 15. Says, do not allow a woman to speak, for she was deceived. She lost her place. See that? She lost her place. Because when the serpent said, is it true that God said you should not eat? Adam should have said, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. The husband didn't show up. 
Jesus, the church is to Christ what he was to Adam. That's why he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Women, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? It's a picture, it's a mystery. It has to do with your marriage to your to the Holy Spirit. So God must test you on how much you love him. John 14, 20, 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said, my father shall love him too. And I shall manifest myself to him. He said that thing twice. He says, me that love me is he that keeps my word. He says, me and my father will love him and we shall come and make our home with him. Why? He keeps my words. That agapao. That's why he says to Peter, Peter, do you agapao me? Do you agapao me? Peter says, you know I should do with you. Peter doesn't understand. He didn't understand the demands. And what was Jesus doing? He was trying to restore him back to ministry. So he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus said to us, feed my lambs. Then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. Then he said, tend to my sheep. Oh, God. Then he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, but says, he broke. His heart broke when he said the third time, Peter, do you love me? Why? Because at the third time, Jesus changed it. It was not to be agape. It's to be filial. And Peter was incapable of agape Jesus. You know why? He did not have the spirit. He was incapable. That's why the, the, the highest he could get in his love for Jesus was filial, the love of friends. He could never get to the place of the love of sacrifice, the love of selflessness. Why? Because the spirit had not yet come. But when the spirit came, he loved Jesus to death. See what's God's highest test for humanity? How much you love him. Any man that loves mother or father, wife, brother and sister more than me is not worthy of me. Why? I want to come first. It's the demand. No husband wants to be loved last by his wife. You understand that? So it's a command that's training you for handling authority. So when you say to a demon, come out, you say it with confidence. Why? You love Jesus. Not because you fear, but because you are, you are, you are, you are, you have sustained his commands. He told you not to do this, this, and this. That gives you the power to say this, this, and that. See, prayer takes on new shape. Prayer takes on new meaning. Because now prayer is on the basis of love. And love is a contract. It's contractual. He didn't say if you feel me, feel. feel. I don't care how I feel. You know what I'm saying? 
God is not Eros. You understand that? Yes, it's not Eros. It's not, it's not erotic love. Love with feeling, love with passion. No. And it doesn't need your kiss, it doesn't need your hugs. <laughs> understand that? The love based on order. Love based on command. Adam failed because he disobeyed one command. Saul failed because he disobeyed how many commands? One command. Moses died because he disobeyed how many commands? One. Not two, not three, one. Elijah failed because he disobeyed one command. There are things in life, decisions in life, choices in life that affect your destiny, that may either promote it or corrupt it. So Jesus' ministry doesn't start until he's married to the Spirit. The church, Christianity is not birthed until who? The 120 are what? Emerge, are married to the Spirit. How do you marry the Spirit? How do you marry the Holy Ghost? Simply. Did somebody ask you to marry? What, what's your response? Yes or no? He's, he's, he's always been making the invitation, will you marry me? Your oath is to say yes. Everybody that has ever said yes with the convictions of God became somebody to be remembered in this life. In Hebrews 11, you will find out. <coughs> problem with Christianity is that we are doing every other thing except the most important. We are still dating with the Holy Ghost. You know when you're dating? You can date this one, this one, this one. You can jump. Not with marriage. marriage once you're married, you're locked in. If you jump to another person, it's a doubt. It's sin that will even lead you to hell. Some of us are still dating with the Spirit. Recording of you. 
still trying to test the water. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They were testing the spirit. <laughs> Life is too serious to play those kind of games with God. Life is too serious. Well, Pastor, what about those who are succeeding without God in this life? You've asked a very good question. They are succeeding because they have learned to appreciate the Lord, the command He has set in place. That's what will protect their success. There are people who will never know God, but they will never sleep. They will never sleep in their lives. Probably the only thing they will sleep in is in salvation. But there are people, worldly people, who will claim to know God and fail in every endeavor of life. Because what you claim to know God, what you claim to know Him, you are more prone to fail if you do not observe His command than you are when you don't claim to know Him. There's more pressure because you know there's more pressure. So you can pray all you like. You can fast all you like. You can worship all you like. You can sing all you like. Nothing will change. The difference in your life is the Holy Spirit. That's why He is the one that Christ is producing in us. The Holy Spirit. Read throughout the Bible. Man without the Spirit, man without God, will give him dreams, visions. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. God gave him that dream. <coughs> Look at Pharaoh. God gave him the dream. Look at uh, uh, Jeroboam. God gave him the ten tribes of Israel. He had sinned against God. God knew he sinned, but God did. God is interested in the progress of mankind. Mankind. Remember that. Remember that. God does not love you more than he loves somebody who is sinning right. He does not love you any different anymore. Think about that. Do, do, you, do you know that? Says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died. That you are in Christ does not mean God loves you more. <laughs> it only means you have accepted his love and work on the cross for you. But that one who does not know him must love him just as much and he will see to it that he promotes him just as he will see that he promotes you. So sometimes those who don't know him are more open to him than those who claim to know him. Have you read Romans chapter 2? How Paul, when Paul speaks to the Roman and to the Gentiles, he says those without a law unto themselves. That they are a law 
unto themselves. Says you with the lost seed, they without oh God, without law, have I law unto themselves, having their conscience clearing them and justifying them. He was telling that sinners obey more of the law they don't know than you who know it. It's not good that man should be alone. You see that? It's not good that you live a life without the Holy Spirit. It's not good. He is your helper. I said that. He is your helper. The woman is in the leftover, the spirit is in the spirit. Your helper. Your helper. He helps you. Do you see that? He helps you. Marriage is the most important thing. Many people don't know. You ask this question. Is communion, union with the Spirit, the most important thing in life? You, you will say yes, right? Yeah. On the other hand, marriage is the most important thing on earth. Nothing really works without it. It, it can't. It's impossible. Nothing really works without it. It says male and female, he created them. Though they are what? Two. They are yet one. The man shall leave his father and, and be joined unto his, and the two shall become. He that is joined unto the Lord is one. Two, one. One. In Christianity, we must come out. We must leave our attachment to a parenthood. That's why one of the most dangerous doctrines that we will find destroying many potentials and possibilities in Christianity is this doctrine that's going around of spiritual fatherhood. This is the most, oh God. Here's the thing, like if you must leave, if both of you, if you must leave your mother and father to be joined to your husband. What does that tell you? Do you need them? In truth, in reality, you don't. Now, if you must join to me, right? If you must join to me, if we're talking in Christian terms now, you 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 must join to me as your spiritual father. What room do you have for the spirit? Because you must you must lose all all forms, right? It's most important relevance. You know when when it becomes important when the men, the women in leadership in ministry bring the people whom they foster into the union with the spirit. That's when it becomes important. You understand that? That's, that's when it becomes relevant. Question. You must ask yourself. 
Someone is very, they, they can't make decisions for themselves. They can't, it's important. They can't make decisions for themselves. If they make decisions for themselves, they are loyal to themselves. And therefore have broken the breach of the contract. That's why Saul failed. God says he has turned away from following him. Can't work in the rebellion. He's rebellious. He's rebellious. What's the last thing that Paul says in Ephesians 5 to the women? He says, let us see that you what? Respect. Respect. How what? In some things. So there are certain things you cannot do because you respect your husband. In the same way, there are certain things you should not do. You will not do because you respect his spirit. Not because it's wrong, no, no, but because of your respect of the spirit. says don't go there and you go there is not respect right can you see how how, how he, he 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 plans to bring us into perfection how he plans to bring the body of Christ into perfection because what you will not do against the spirit you will not do in the natural against your lust he knows it he knows it
love, respect, submission. Dominion. in the word of God where it demands your personal respect, your personal submission, and your personal love you start walking and then he begins to elevate you and introduce you to a higher level of authority so when you say father, fire, fire comes ready, there you go Something begins to happen in you. His voice talks to you. You start hearing it. And once you get to that point in life, you are ready for the secret of life. Because in his voice, he guides you into the paths that he wants you to walk in. You move with him. You stop when he tells you to stop. Even when he bruises your ego. Even when he threatens your integrity. You do it. Why? You respect him. You are submitted to him. You love him. And people wonder, your life is always a wonder. Always a mystery. But the secret Submitting to him. And respecting him. Why did Ananias and Sapphira die? They did not respect him. They chose to lie to him. That's when Christian Christianity starts having a meaning. A true meaning to you. Because you realize it's about marriage to the spirit. It's about marrying the one who created you. Coming into oneness. That's what marriage is. A oneness, a merge. Jesus said, I can't do anything without my father. What I do, what I speak, I speak and I command it. I do and I see my father do. Why? Because that father loved the son and he showed him how to do it. God is desperate. Listen to me. God is desperate. He is desperate to reveal himself. He's desperate. The Holy Spirit is 
Thank God for the time he's here. But he has a form. You know that? He has a form. He has a body. He has a form. He has a body. And the day he revealed himself to you, Marriage is consummated when the man and the woman come together, right? That's when marriage is consummated. In, in, in the olden days, uh, what would happen is that after a man and a woman married, right, they would need to consummate, sleep together, have intercourse in front of everybody to prove that that marriage is consummated. Many cultures have been doing it. They're still doing it even today. Because that's that's how that's how they they validate a marriage. That's the day you encounter the Holy Spirit, where your relationship with Him is consummated, where you know without a shadow of doubt, I am His, He is mine. Everything changes. You are sent to me, He will dwell inside you. Responsibility of the man to provide for the woman. <laughs> Is it not the responsibility of the spirit to provide for you? But only if you are married to him. <laughs> so you see that? See why there's so much struggle in Christianity today? There's only one problem. It's the lack of communion with the spirit. So you come out of a service like this, you go home, you say, Spirit, I am ready. Let me encounter you. Give me an encounter that will change my life. I need something. I am desperate. I am hungry. I want you. There's nothing else in this life that I need. I know now that it's you that I've been missing in my life. Spirit, encounter me. You sit in the presence of God like that. And you sit in the presence of God and say, I'm not going anywhere. All of a sudden, the wind blows. And you wonder where you're coming from. All of a sudden, your room is feeling hot and cold at the same time. You can't explain it. What's this? And he says to you, This is not, listen, listen, there are many visions you will see in this life. There are many visions you may see of Jesus, but not all visions are visions of encounter. Not all visions are visions, brothers and sisters, of consummation. There is one vision you need. John says, when I saw him, did you not see him all these 30 years, three years he was with you? 
He saw him. He did not see him when he was raised from the dead. When he ascended on high, he saw him. But this time he says, when I saw him, I fell at his face as dead. Oh God. He said, I fell and his face is a dead man. When your body shakes like a leaf, you don't understand. Your body shakes like a leaf. You can't control it. It happens. You are in the presence of Almighty God. There are visions you may see. You'll never do anything like that to you. But there are some. It's called encountering God. Encountering God. The kind that Jacob had. When he held on to him and said, I'll never let you go until you bless me. And he came out of it, you are changed man. when that light show <coughs> struck me down. And you read things like that and say, could that happen to me? Only if you want it. Only if you are hungry and desire to see that. There is so much in store for you, brothers and sisters. So much God has reserved for you. So much God wants to give you. He's waiting for your love. He's waiting for your submission. He's waiting for your respect. Let's all rise and pray. Ask him to mark your life for encounter. Ask him to prepare your life for encounter. Let it come from the heart. Pray and tell him. Tell him that you want to be married to him. You want to be one with him. You want a walk, a union, a communion with him that you have never had before. Tell him you are ready to say yes. You are ready to love him, to submit to him, to respect him in all things, to be guided by him, to be led by him, to be provided for by him. Tell him you are ready to be commanded by him. Tell him to encounter you like Moses in the wilderness, like Jacob in the wilderness, like Ezekiel. Like Moses, like Daniel. Yando Shakapaneda Basa. Legradozo Shandamaka. Let him know, let him know that he is your purpose. He is your object of desire. He is what you need.